At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. This is Stephanie Hansen, and you are listening to the Makers of Minnesota podcast. Thank you for listening. We are on episode number 37, and we have a really unique guest today. Usually when we think about making things, we think about something tangible that you can hold in your hand, or perhaps we've talked to a number of people that have made apps. In this particular instance, we're talking to uh, Paul Dauenhauer, who is the associate professor at the University of Minnesota, who developed what they are calling the Perfect Soap Molecule. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you're a associate professor. Are you also a scientist or give me a little bit about your background here? Sure. So I'm an associate professor of chemical engineering and material science. Okay. So I'm an engineer by, by practice, yep. but we do scientific research at the University of Minnesota. So did you, have you worked at the university for a long time? Yeah, I've I've worked here since 2004. Okay. And when you were going to college as a student, how did you know that you wanted to get into engineering? So engineering takes on really big challenges. Yeah. Especially at the university where we were looking at the major challenges that are 20, 30, even 50 years out. And we take those on long before companies even need the solutions. Yep. So it's it's the most challenging work. It's It's also very exciting, though. And when you were a little kid... I mean, this is going to sound like a really dumb question, but did you play like Legos and were you into computer programming? Were you a math nerd? All of it. I think, you you know, people know chemistry and they know mathematics, but if you take both of those two topics and you put them together, that's chemical engineering and materials science. Okay. So uh, you, were you a student at the university? I was a student at the University of Wisconsin and the University of Minnesota. Cool. So kind of a Midwest kid. Yep. Midwest kid. All right. So... When you are in your computer or chemical engineering hat, did you set out to make the perfect soap molecule or give me the background? Sure. So so when you think about manufacturing, a lot of people think of, of devices or gadgets. Stuff. Yeah. Stuff, right? But really what, what a huge part of, in fact, the most energy intensive form of manufacturing is chemical manufacturing. And that's just, if you look around, you're surrounded by chemicals that improve your life every day, including... Yep. Uh, gasoline or heating oil or just cleaners for your for your house. Yep. Uh, paints, all these sorts of things. And those have to all be manufactured. So chemical engineers and material scientists figure out how to manufacture these things from natural feedstocks. Those could be oil. But more and more, the U.S. government is asking researchers to find ways to make all of the things around us uh, from biomass and renewable resources. Okay. So... You're sitting there one day and someone knocks on your door and says, hey, Paul, can you make us the perfect soap molecule? Sure. So so the way, we, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the, 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 what we do is we, we were looking for the big targets, the things that are billion dollar markets that are in every household. So obviously fuels is a big part of this. Yeah. Now, wh- how we get focused on a new topic has to do with, with how we fund the research, because a lot of this costs significant money to have state of the art equipment, 
a dedicated researcher. So we're, yep. we're funded by the U.S. Department of Energy, and we have a program which we call the Catalysis Center for Energy Innovation. This is, this is part of the U.S. Uh, Department of Energy Office of Science, and they ask us, a group of 20 researchers from around the country, I'm, I'm one of the co-leaders of this, to look for the really big challenges that are, that are emerging in the next two decades. Now, one of those is fuels, and probably another one are common chemicals uh, like soap molecules. We call them surfactants. Okay. They're laundry detergent, they're hand soap, but they also show up all sorts of other places. If you're going to apply herbicides to your garden, uh, they show up there. Yeah. Um, but they're also in cosmetics and consumer products. They're, they're ubiquitous if you start looking at the labels. So what we'd like to do is make them not from petroleum anymore, but from biomass. Okay. So when you were presented this challenge, I mean, I'm not a scientist, so this is a hard interview for me. How did you decide, like, do you know right where to start looking and right where to start dissecting and putting this together or creating a chemical chain? Is this training that you had? Like, if someone told me I had to make the perfect soap molecule, I would just have no sense of what to even do to start. Did you know? Sure. So the the, the place you start is is what do we have right now? Because all of these problems have existing solutions. The question that we have is, are they sustainable products? Okay. So mo- almost everything around us is made either from natural gas or petroleum for the most part. right? Uh, or, or there are some natural products like woods and things like yep. that. Yep. But most of the things we look at... I paints, never thought about it like that, that petroleum is that pervasive in our culture. Yes, it's everywhere. Actually, yeah. you look around you, all the plastics, even the asphalt on the road is made from petroleum. Interesting. So the, the question in the next 50 to 100 years is, can we transition to a society that's completely sustainable. Yep. What's great about Minnesota is we're perfectly positioned to do this. Uh, we have very strong science and engineering departments here at the university, but we also have a lot of great sustainable resources. Mm-hmm. That's everything from grasses, trees, corn, uh, oils from soybeans, uh, among many other resources to, to work on. Sure. So what, what we've been looking at is what are the big things to go after? The, the large volume chemicals and materials. And Soaps are one of them. The question is, if you take a soap molecule, say, say you take laundry detergent, yep. we know what the molecules are in there look like, and we know how they function. The question is, rather than from petroleum, can we look at what nature already produces and convert that to either the same molecule or, which, or uh, a related molecule that either behaves as good or better? So do you remember the day that you – so you must look at this like on paper or in a mm-hmm. model on a computer – do you remember the day where you actually like got to test what this would be like and the idea of did it work or didn't work? Yeah, so so usually there's you know I think there's this belief that in in research there are some aha moments. Yeah, right? like that's what I'm looking for. Now I don't I don't want to. There are some things which Burst I can it. I can remember just they were aha moments in research. In fact, I just had one of these a, a couple weeks ago. But for this, it was it was more of an engineering technology. We kind of knew the molecule we wanted to make. And we kind of chipped away at it over the course of two years and said, we want to make this molecule. We're going to take corn and we're going to take soybean oil. And we're going to find a way to kind of connect them together and then tune it to give it the properties that are perfect for laundry detergent. Okay. And that was just a, a slow slog of, God, of real science years? and engineering. Two years? Of, of effort. But when we, when, we, when we finally got the exact shape of the molecule we wanted that, and its performance was evaluated, we knew we had just an incredible uh, opportunity here. At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.
So two years of going into the office every day, like, what does your day look like? Do you stare into a microscope? Do you look at a computer screen of different um, molecule formulations? Like day to day in this two years, what does that look like? I think a lot of people don't know kind of what happens at the university. I think people think faculty and professors spend most of their time lecturing students, but that's only probably about half of what we do. The other half, we have students called graduate students that are working on their master's degree or their their doctorate, and they're doing a thesis, which might be five to seven years of of research, just focused over that time. So a lot of the faculty will manage 10 or 15 students at a time working on these projects. Now, this particular project, because it was so ambitious, took four or five students all kind of working together. And so a lot of the time that we spend is meeting with the students, working in the laboratory, uh, understanding how the experiments are going finding connections between computational efforts and, and experimental efforts and kind of slowly chipping away, working our way to the solution. Um, and and so the kids, the graduate students, are working on this as part of their thesis program. I'm just talking yep. about kids. Like, I mean, I realize these are probably grown people. Yeah, they're about the age of 25. Yeah. They seem so. young to me, but <laughs> they get a lot of energy and they work very hard. And when you get to the point where this molecule works... And you're like, wow, this works. I think we have something here. Then do you invite in other people to look at it, to test it? How do you know, like, wow, this is it? So uh, when we make these molecules, we have met- performance metrics. Uh, so we we would say, does the soap molecule, is it does it make a lot of foam? Yep. We find a way to put numbers to that. Right there, you can you can kind of have a qualitative thing like this makes a lot of foam that doesn't make very much. We have we've experiments we've designed that can say it has this much foam or that much, but there's many other metrics. There's there's for example, if you wash your hair in cold water, people know that it's hard to get the soap out of your hair, right? Or or hard water is the other one, right? Yeah, kind of gets real hard. It to feels get it slimy, out. Mm-hmm. right? There's there are um, metrics we can use for that and actually apply a number to how good they are. So for if we make uh, 15 different molecules, I can say, well, this structure is better for this metric or that. And so when we say we made the perfect soap molecule, we took all the metrics and we kind of optimized it to get to the exact best performing molecule. Now, making the perfect soap molecule, you're the, is it fair to say you're an inventor on the team? Yeah. So actually, uh, you know, the University of Minnesota is is researchers, but also we have an entire division uh, focused on getting intellectual property or patents. And so when the team works together, we file a patent. Yep. So we're all inventors on the patent. And then we even go to the next stage. There's part of the University of Minnesota now has gotten very good at taking these patents and turning them into startup companies. Yeah. So this this technology has now gone to a startup company uh, here in St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, called Ceronics Renewables. And that's taking it out to the point of giving out samples and developing the technology. So hopefully it's something that you see in products every day. Are you in that process or at that point, once you've made it, it gets turned over to the startup company and you're an observer at that point? So if, uh, of all, you know, the university creates many startup companies every year and the faculty are involved in some and some they're not involved at all. So in this case, I'm partially involved in, in the startup process. And this maybe is a complicated question, but so you're a professor, you're paid for your work. As a patent holder or as the name on the patent holder, do you get some residual financially from these things that you've made or are you making them for the university? So it's a blend. So the the whole the patent process that the university uses, a lot of the royalties, if it gets licensed or yep. uh, comes back to the university, and then a, a fraction of that will go to the inventors, so myself or the students. Oh, so there is, and your students could potentially um, have a windfall, I guess, too. Yeah, yeah, th- th- that would be 
wonderful. I mean, they, you, were, they were part of the inventive process. Can you think of an example where someone made um, like a lot of money, like with a patent or something that was developed? So the, the university has a lot in the medical space that have been very successful. In fact, the university has a long list of success stories going back, particularly in the medical space, because of the long history of the Twin Cities and medical technology. Yep. Cool. So I th- I like that idea. A that it's that there's uh, students and and researchers that are also getting compensated for some of these things, but then of course the university getting compensated is good too because they funnel more money into research and some of the things that are happening. Is there a um, is this the first thing that you've been involved in that actually made it to the startup phase? Uh, this is the second one. What was your first? So the the first technology we worked on was a way to to detect chemicals. So in any sample that you have. And that went to a startup company that's located in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Wow. And so a lot of these companies stay local, too. Right. A lot of them are. Both of these companies are are led by two students of the University of Minnesota. Neat. Neat. Um, So when you're just talking to lay people or your wife or your wife's friends and they're asking you about what you do, uh, what do you want people to know? I think that, that a lot of people don't understand, like, the the extent of what it takes to, to generate these products, right? They have to go from idea to research, just immense effort and years of dedication to figure out how they work all the way to the startup process. It can, it can take five to 10 years to get through all that space. And we rely on federal funding to do all of this. All of this research and development and breakthrough technologies come from the National Science Foundation, the Department of Energy, the National Institutes of Health. And they provide this sustained freedom of research to, to find these new technologies. More and more it has to come from the federal government because a lot of the companies that used to do basic research in these areas are no longer doing that. They're mostly doing applied technologies. A lot of the R&D has been cut. Mm-hmm. And do you worry with the current administration that more funding will be cut in that arena? I, I mean, I, we're all very concerned about this. If you look at the, the president's proposed budget, there were immense cuts to huge parts of the Department of Energy and the National Institutes of Health for Cancer yeah. Research. And that's very concerning uh, because to, to stay competitive in the world, in a lot of these areas, in energy and cancer research, the U.S. is the world leader. And just to stay competitive, it has to keep up at least with inflation. So we're, we're watching it very closely. So if someone's listening to this podcast, are there, like, they can write their legislatures, I guess, and, and ask them to try to continue to fund these projects? Yeah, I think I think that's definitely something you should do. I mean, everybody is knows somebody who has cancer. Yeah, uh, and everybody I'm... uses energy in their house and fuels in their car, and and they're we all breathe the same air and drink the same water. That all comes from environmental impact and and access to, to affordable energy and healthcare, and that's all impacted by the research done at the University of Minnesota, which is all impacted by federal funding. I uh, have sat on the board of the Children's Cancer Research Fund and um, talked to some of the grant writers. Do you have to actually put grants together to ask for money? This is pretty much a nonstop process at this point. And people don't, I think, think about that either. You know, you're obviously a researcher, but a lot of your time is spent actually asking for the money. That's right. So if you if you look around the world, the Nat- the United States National Science Foundation is the gold standard for, for the grant award process. I think mm-hmm. people don't understand how difficult it is to win a National Science Foundation grant or a grant from the Department of Energy or the National Institutes of Health. Uh, it takes immense effort. It's extremely competitive uh, to fund the, the graduate students and the research that leads to these technologies. Well, congratulations. You sound like you've been really successful. 
Well, we, you know, the, the key with research is to work with good people. And we here at the University of Minnesota, we have a lot of good faculty, a lot of good resources, and really great students. And uh, if you were selling the university to anybody listening to this that maybe have kids that would be going into that field or looking at engineering as a field, is it a lucrative field? Do you feel like there's good opportunities there? Oh, yeah. Uh, engineering in particular is the future is really bright. We're, we have so many challenges that are emerging. There are students in the Department of Chemical Engineering Material Science have very high placement at graduation with some of the best salaries across the university. Oh, that's great. And is there, uh, this is sexist to ask, I'm sure, but I know that women in science has been something that people have been striving yep. towards. Are you seeing more women entering the field? So the the lead researcher on this surfactant molecule was a female researcher. Oh, that's one excellent. One of the best students I've had. All right. So you're seeing more women entering this field as a science and... Yeah, chemical engineering in particular has, has, has in the past 10 to 15 years, had a lot of women uh, in, uh, engineers and researchers. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for being our guest on the podcast today. Congratulations for making the world's most perfect soap molecule. Do you have a shirt or something that says, I made the world's most perfect soap molecule? I think that would be such a great shirt. No, so far we just have a website. All right. So congratulations. Thank you for being on today and for just helping us understand a little bit about the university and all the technologies and things that they're making over there. You're the second person I've talked to. I also have talked to someone that's engineering apples. And there's just so much cool research going on over there. So thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Shaq for the Big Podcast, and the NBA playoffs are in full gear. Every play, every moment, every game means that much more. As I've been saying for months, John, betonline.ag is the place to get in all this action. Sign up today for a free account and use promo code PODCAST1 for your 50% sign-in bonus. Can anyone slow down Golden State? Is Milwaukee the real deal? Yes, I think they are. How far can Houston and Boston go? Toronto? Eh, don't miss out. BetOnline.ag, the exclusive part of the Podcast One Sportsnet and your online sportsbook experts. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. An F-16 pilot having hydraulic problems with his aircraft managed to parachute to safety as the plane smashed into a warehouse east of Los Angeles. Fire Captain Fernando Herrera. That pilot landed in the uh, March Air Force Base area. In the base itself. Amazingly, there were no serious injuries after the plane hit the building. Alabama executed a man last night for his role in killing four people after an argument over a pickup truck. Tennessee executed a man who killed his wife. Reporters couldn't see the execution, but AP correspondent Travis Lawler says... We could hear sounds, uh, including a singing that uh, uh, Mr. Johnson's attorney says was him singing a hymn. Answering a reporter's question, President Trump said he hopes the U.S. is not on a path to war with Iran. Mr. Trump has dismissed suggestions that any of his advisors are trying to push him into a conflict. I'm Rita Foley.